Hello and welcome. I'm Eric. And I'm John. And this is the Wikipedia Chronicles. Start with a random article, explore it, then follow the links and see where it takes us. John, what do you got for us today? My article is the curious case of Benjamin Weiss. <laughs> Sorry, I know it was kind of misleading, but that's yeah. Benjamin Weiss is, is who I, who I have. Uh. Uh, now, many of you may not know who Benjamin Weiss is, but I sure do now that I'm reading this page. Uh, he is an Israeli mathematician known for formulating the road coloring conjecture mm. with Roy Adler and for coining the names of Sophic group. Oh, actually, I should say the road coloring conjecture is for coining the names of Sophic groups and Sophic subshifts and for his work with Matthew Foreman hmm. and Daniel Rudolph on measuring, uh, preserving or rather on measure preserving transformations. Wow. I Can't see. read things about uh, maths, apparently. <laughs> um, <clears throat> in any case, uh, yeah. He is a professor emeritus of mathematics at the Hebrew University of Jerusalem. So, hmm. yeah. Yeah, cool. I mean, that's the entire article for the most part. There's a few other factoids in there, yeah. but uh, that's, that's about all I've got. What do you have there, Eric? I have Craig Jones, musician. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is also known by his nickname 133. That's he a- is an American heavy metal musician. Oh. Um, <laughs> born in Des Moines, Iowa, he is best known as the sampler and keyboardist in Slipknot. Oh no! In which he is designated number five. Not one, two, three. <laughs> joined the band in uh, 1996, and he replaced Donny Steele on guitar. Although he's a keyboardist, um, but he quickly moved on to the role of sampler. And following the departure of Joey Jordison in 2013, Jones is now the second longest serving member of Slipknot. Second longest serving. Like, it's a public service <laughs> that you have, you, you've, you've decided to become a member of the band Slipknot. <laughs> Which, I mean, to yeah, an extent, it's, it does involve a lot of personal It's equivalent to uh, serving in the military. It's like, all right. <laughs> all right. Not a lot of people want to do this, but... We have to do it because there are people more powerful than me who need to see this happen. <laughs> so you want me to join the military? No, son. I need you to join the band Slipknot <laughs> to keep the traditions of new metal culture alive. <laughs> like, what? what? What do you mean serving? Okay. Um, well, as fascinating as a really old guy who does math is, <laughs> I'm afraid... <laughs> That Slipknot is something that interests me more, and that's a sentence I never <laughs> thought I would say. Yeah, I guess uh, Wikipedia is really, uh, you know, giving us <laughs> some tough choices. Yeah, like they're they're like, really- hey, do you want do you want to go to this thing you don't want to go to, or do you want to go to this thing that you, you really, really don't, don't want to go to? <laughs> okay, I guess I'll go to this <laughs> objectively <laughs> less terrible thing. <laughs> They're just forcing us to go to... The lesser of two <laughs> evil... Uh, evils. Evil. <coughs> wow. Wow. Man. Pro tip to people <coughs> listening. Never choke on ice cream. It's way harder to get back out of your lungs wow. once it's in there. Okay. We're going forward. I'm alive. All right. Everything's... Probably probably fine. Okay. So we're talking, we're talking about uh, what was his actual name? I only remember one three three now. Craig Jones. Craig Jones is this one. All right. Number okay. five. Oh, he's the nails one. 
Yep. It, it looks was... like the uh, that game uh, Kerplunk, where you pull the sticks out and the marbles fall. I think it literally is that with it painted black and then silver through it. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure. Like, there's nothing else on the market. Like, it's not a Hellraiser costume, because if it is, it's a really bad one. Like, you can it's make like, one that's it's better. It's like children's doll yeah. uh, Hellraiser. Yep. <laughs> it's exact- <laughs> like, he took a game of uh, he took a game of that and he just covered it with black sharpie and then stuck made, made the uh, needles full silver pra- spray paint. That's all yep. he did. Wow. Okay, Craig yeah, not, Jones. Not only is he number five and 133, he's also known as 133 megahertz, the silent one, and the killer. But not the silent killer. <laughs> Nope. I mean, you would think you would put those two skill sets together if those were, in fact, your skill sets. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Well, here's some uh, shedding some light on his quiet one or silent one. Okay, it calls them both quiet one and silent one. All right. So, uh, Jones is often identified by the media as the most quiet and private member of Slipknot, earning him the nickname the quiet one. Um... So vocalist Corey Taylor has commented on his demeanor by describing him as the quietly scary type. Oh, okay. And Slipknot producer Ross Robinson has added that he would try to get him to talk and he would just sit and stare at him. Um. Loudwire's Graham Hartman noted that he almost never speaks and keeps people at a distance, theorizing that these qualities inspired the style of his mask. Ian Gittins the, of The Guardian described Jones as a patient, a patently, a, as patently a strange individual, as well as quoting the band's manager dubbing of the sampler as a the Unabomber, a reference to terrorist Ted Kaczynski. And, yeah. So, uh, before... Uh, joining Slipknot. Apparently, he was driving forklifts in a warehouse all day long, and uh, he also joked that he was probably out killing people as well, which earned him the nickname The Killer. Which, you know, at this point, I'm ready to believe it. Sure. And uh, according to Robinson, the latter comment was the first the sampler made in an interview and it inspired a number of complaints from readers of the publication to which it was made. So Why? literally, the first thing he said in an interview was that he's probably out killing people before he joined the band Slipknot. <clears throat> and so people complained because the publication reported the one thing that he said to them. <laughs> okay. Yep, I guess so. People people just really don't like hearing, <laughs> hearing things they've said. <laughs> but what interview... It doesn't even say... The one. The one where he talks. Of the publication. (laughs) An an interview in the publication. So, let's see. Maybe it's The Guardian still. Like, the last one they talked about was The Guardian. It could could just be that they started a new paragraph while (laughs) giving us no indication that they meant to continue the last one. Let's see. Oh, okay. In the references, it says that... It's from a interview in the Omnibus Press with Joel McIver. Okay, so, so completely different interview, not referenced at all yep. by name. <laughs> Just referenced in the references. Yep. Hmm. Well, it's each their own, I suppose. Yeah, <laughs> I guess uh, this Wikipedia editor just decided, you know what? Eh, people didn't need to know. Except I mean, unless they really want to know. Then they can just look down a couple paragraphs. I guess. It really isn't that relevant. I mean, I can't say I've heard of this publication, so maybe that's why yeah. it drew fire. Maybe it was, like, not reputable. And they were like, hey, look, <laughs> our claim to fame is we got that one dude from Slipknot who's weird to talk. <laughs> like, not really, We got like, him to say something. Yeah. It wasn't a great thing, but it was something. We took his mask off of his head and we poked him with it until he said that. <laughs> Oh, okay, so he joined after the debut album. 
like he re- he joined after the recording of the debut album. So like as soon as it came out, he was on tour with them. Pretty much, I guess. Um, he replaced the guitarist, as we said before, and he was actually enlisted by the drummer with whom Jones had previously worked in the band Modif- Modifidis Modifidis Dias Modifidius. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, after Modifid- he joined the band. Uh, pretty shortly after the electronics and computer genius, as he, I guess, is known, moved over to the role of sampler due to the increase in sound effects and speech samples used in the band's music. And then Mick Thompson replaced him on guitar. And Jordison, who was the drummer who hired him or whatever claimed that Jones was happy with the change, noting that he liked doing that anyway, coming up with all these sounds and noises. And Jones' contribution to the band has been described by BBC Music as providing samples, speeches, and noises as a kind of audio garnish in the band's Dark Maelstrom. Dark Maelstrom. (laughs) I mean... There's a fine line between what's a dark maelstrom and what's trying too hard, and Slipknot's decisively <laughs> on the other side of that line. The yeah. wrong side, the, the trying too hard sort of line. Yeah, there's kind of like a natural feeling you get from some things, and yeah. there's like a, you know, forced perspective. Exactly, like that's... Thing. And that's exactly what I got from Slipknot. Pretty much every song of theirs I've heard. Yeah. It's not... <laughs> Yeah. Well, I think their best song is the mashup with Justin Bieber. I think my favorite. All of their music is replaced by (laughs) Justin Bieber's backing track. Oh, I think my favorite one is um, I forget what it's called. Um, the name of the song. Uh, I think "Wait and Bleed" is what it's called. Hmm. Um, not familiar. But in any case. They did a Radio Disney version of it, like a parody Radio Disney version of it, and that is by, by far and away the best Slipknot song, because it is Slipknot taken into a ridiculous uh, reggaeton sort of... So this is, what, like a kids bop kind of thing? Yeah, yeah. It's but- overlaid over top of a video where the people are actually... It's actually Slipknot performing in the video oh. from a live performance, but they, so they overlaid the sound <laughs> of the cover track, ah, and they sync it up perfectly, gotcha. and it just seems... It's just so good. <laughs> it's its uplifting, really, is what I'll it is. I'll have to check that out. In any yeah. case, um, <laughs> not sure where to go from here, because... Hmm. Okay, <laughs> All right, so we have some uh, light shed on the number 133 nickname. Um, it is a reference to the processor speed of his computer. The one He still has a 130, 30 megahertz I'm computer? I'm assuming that it is the computer he used at the time of his joining the band. Mm. Or at least I hope so. Because that's uh, pretty sad. Yeah, now. <laughs> I don't know exactly how you'd go about performing in a band these days with 133 megahertz I think that is probably the most indicative thing of all of Slipknot's faults combined <laughs> into one like choosing a bad name dating yourself for when you you know it w- chose that name like it's pretty clear yeah. okay that's circa this <laughs> um and for, for overuse of technology, like trying... Uh, that, 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 I think, was most of where Slipknot's forced sound came from, was mm. they tried to add too many technical things, yeah. uh, technological like bits to their music, electronic components to their music, where it didn't mm. really belong or jive. There were ways to yeah. do it, and there were ways to do it in literally any genre... Slipknot was the pioneer of exactly how not to do that. <laughs> like there were there was Limp Biscuit for amounts of electronic sins committed against music. This guy's forty three. 
they started. He started young. Yeah, you know, Slipknot was big. What when we were just getting into middle school? I yeah, feel like somewhere around that. Er, yeah. early high school I, too. Well, it might have even been a little bit before that because their first album would have come out elementary school. Wow. Yeah. Couple. Uh, yeah. I mean, I guess it was on the cusp of middle school era mm-hmm. for us. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely pretty young for us though. So maybe we just were too young to understand, man. <laughs> Still, it's weird to think that there was a time not too long ago when bands like Slipknot literally did fill stadiums. Yeah. I'm so happy Napster came along. Like seriously, <laughs> some stuff needed to get wrecked. What did I do? They're still pumping stuff out. Though everybody does beg to ask the question why, few people realize Slipknot is a core, a core of the United States government, in yeah. which people are there to serve. <laughs> is that all they've done? Five albums? Or that can't be right. No, no, no. It would be six albums because he joined after the first one. Right. So I'm going to go look at that. Really? But what's interesting is their debut album wasn't their self-titled, but um, they had a steady stream, you know, like two or three years between. And then for some reason, their fourth album is called Volume 3, and then their sixth album is called 5 or Point .5. I don't know. It seems, it seems weird. It seems like they're trying to do like a numbering like chronological yeah. chapters system but they only do it every once in a while I don't know it's I'm very strange not sure what that's supposed to be about unless oh no it's because they don't certain claim they don't th- that that first album is their demo tape and that oh. is from before they were signed so I guess as far as official canon studio albums go they don't count it. Huh. That's strange. Yeah, it's literally listed. If you look at their discography page, it's listed under a demo album, and then hmm. the, the first album album came out in 1999, and it was their self-titled. Hmm. So they really have only been, in, even though they were getting really big, like when we were still in elementary school yet, they've only they been just, five total. Their, yeah, their rate of release was... Slowing with each album by a lot. Yeah, you started out with a pretty normal two years, a forgivable three years, a questionable four before having. Uh, you're really trying now, aren't you? Six. Before people forget about you, six. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they didn't forget about them. Looking at this discography page, you can see that Slipknot have not quite slipped. They've really tied the knot. If anything, they have gone from 51 uh, topping the... Uh, their first album topped the chart at 51 on the Billboard. Their second went to three. Their third went to two. And by the time I thought New Metal was buried and dead in 2008 when they released their fourth album, they had a number one album <laughs> that went platinum. Huh. And so well, was their fifth album, also a number one album in the United States. It's in twenty fourteen. In twenty fourteen, a new metal album made it to number one. Think about that. But if you uh, look at their on the side, their first album, full platinum for like every I don't know two is times that, platinum is actually that, yeah, for is that the United States. Um, yeah, just different, different countries, countries or, different okay. countries, right? R I A A is ours. Yeah, for example. So their second album, uh, two different platinum in two different countries. Third album, platinum in three different countries. And their fourth album was platinum in two different countries. Their fifth album, not platinum. At all. At all. Anywhere. But <laughs> their previous album did have six years to go platinum. Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, it's possible it could get there, but... Who knows? It seems like it would be very unlikely solely because I don't know who would buy a Slipknot album in this day and age. Yeah. 2014 is kind of like the last cry of not using Spotify all the time. <laughs> um, 
I think people still, I know people still download stuff, people still do buy albums whenever they have an intrinsic value to them, but Slipknot, I, I don't know, it's hard to say. I feel like Slipknot's more like the Juggalos than I'm giving them credit for. They probably have a really <laughs> large, really dedicated fan base. Yeah. And, I mean, dedicated to the point of cultiness, mm. but not to the point of, yeah. like, drinking Kool-Aid cultiness, to the point of... Insisting yeah, they, that they are still good cultiness. Yeah, I think that's a, there's a weird kind of probably subsection of you know society fans, so like, called. Like it's 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 somewhere between normal fandom and juggalos, bro. Mm-hmm. Like like they're definitely not full on juggalo right. because we would have heard about it. Yeah, yeah, because but hmm. any number yeah. of reasons really, but there's, yeah. Hmm. Very, it is very strange to <clears throat> realize that there, there, there's still such a potential for it. But I mean, if you have a good fan base, then yeah, you have you have maybe fifty thousand solid fans mm. in the United States, and to the number one <laughs> album. <laughs> All right. Well, have we gone over to the discography, or are we just bouncing over there to? I think we've gone over there because we're right. both there, are we not? Yeah, we're both there. Yeah, so we're kind of there now. <laughs> I guess we were we are stuck here now. Yeah. So a preemptive. I don't know where you're gonna put the ding on that one. Yeah, uh, I'll I'll figure it out. It'll, by by now the ding will have happened. Okay. All right. So that's yeah. That's that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we don't have a whole lot of places to go. I mean, we could just go to con- uh, countries like um, Billboard charts, and we could go to like the recording industries of different places. That would be good and preferential to Slipknot. <laughs> we could go to Download Festival. Um. Yeah, I mean. Hmm. Couple different record labels. We could go to like the uh, studio album article, or like different types of albums. But I don't mm. know how interesting that would be because we kind of know exactly what yeah types of albums um. are. Could go to CD or DVD. Mm. <laughs> No, I mean, you see, that sounds interesting from afar, <laughs> and then as soon as you get there, it's going to be like, comp- CDs or compact discs were a format of media used in the 1980s, and then you <laughs> take a laser, see? and through optical uh, science, you are able to t- detect frequencies on the data and read it. They were an improvement over cassette tapes because of, oh god, have they actually gone to the... No, 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 I didn't. I didn't. Don't worry. I also needed to do something there in my voice. I don't know what happened. Um, but no, I mean, like, again, sounds like a better idea than it is. <laughs> so should we go to RIAA? Let's check out Ria. No. Ria Grande. Ria Na. The Recording Industry Association of America. I'm sure people have heard of this. Yes. It's that thing that you love to hate. It's that thing that has sent you a cease and desist because you were on Kaza too many times. It was that thing that sent your grandma a cease and desist for downloading that one thing that one time by accident because she didn't know what she was doing. It is. Yeah. Go for it. A actual... All American, and I mean all American, North and South. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, trade organization that represents the recording industry only here, <laughs> only in the <laughs> United States. So I'm not really sure how it's continental in that sense, but all right. Its members consist of record labels and distributors, which the RIAA says create, manufacture, and or distribute approximately 85% of all legally sold recorded music <laughs> in the United States. Yeah. 
which means that 15% of music isn't illegally acquired. 15% of music is illegally purchased. Yeah. Which means Who's that somebody. Purchasing illegal music? I don't know. Like, it's what hard enough profit? to pay people legitimately for it. Like, if you're not going to pay the, ri- the real people for the music, Who why are you, you going to pay anybody else yeah. for the music? Well, That's... when was that statistic from? Like, did, <laughs> did people. Was there a legitimate bootleg in, uh, music industry at one point? I mean, I know there was. Like, well, back yeah. in the days of vinyls, well, you yeah, have. I mean, like, before the internet, like, right. you'd be like, oh, yeah, I'll go buy their new CD for a dollar, mm-hmm. you know, and. You just go out to the street corner and find the guy who had the things. Yeah, and you buy you you would do the same thing with, D, with uh, DVDs. But I mean, th- 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 I feel like that statistic now is yeah. probably a bit dated. Yeah, maybe not. Maybe in some areas of the United States, there's still. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. Uh, the RIAA headquarters is in Washington D.C., but. Mm. Don't let that fool you. They're not a government agency. <laughs> as just, much as they try to be. They really want to be. That's why they're in D.C. They, they want to be able to run right around the corner and say to the various legal powers that be, hey, help us out. People stealing music is a real big deal. And then the politicians will get up out of their jazz cafes where they're listening to a bunch of music for free and be like, hey, yeah, you're right. Yeah, they really want to be the FCC of music. But... They're not good at it. No. And, and it was formed in 1952 with the original mission to administer recording copyright fees and problems with uh, uh, working with trade unions as well and uh, to do research relating to the record industry and government regulations. Early RIAA standards included the RIAA equalization curve, the format of the stereophonic record, Groove and the dimensions of the 33 and a third RPM, 45 RPM, and 78 RPM record. Well, they started out good. Yeah, they were getting, doing things. Getting those things standardized is probably a good idea. Yeah, I mean that helps the medium. Um, I mean, it, least, it always helps when you don't have to buy a million different formats and sizes of things. You know, of the same media type. Which is great until the future happened. Yep. <laughs> the RIAA says that its current mission is one, to protect the intellectual property rights and First Amendment rights of artists. Wait, two, protect the First Amendment rights of artists? Yeah. Is that just like if they say something stupid, then they can be like, hey, wait, the First Amendment. Yep. That's why Eminem <laughs> can make a, a, a election rap about uh, stuff. Like, right now, and, you know, <laughs> it'll be okay, as long as, you know. I feel like that's not something they have to fight for, the RA specifically. I mean... I feel like there are other powers that you could go through, other channels that you would have to you explore your first r- amendment rights. like, that's like a basic right yeah. through the government that, like... Yeah. Oh, the yeah. first the, the, that's pretty and it's pretty laid out at this point too yeah. like there aren't very many first amendment cases that haven't already had something said on them by the supreme court <laughs> unless the supreme court wants to overturn those yeah nothing new is going to happen with the first amendment that's believe me like it's that we've had the hate <laughs> it's speeches <pretty> solid. <laughs> yeah it's it's pretty it's pretty ironclad now we've had 200 years to get that sucker right now yeah. we're on to the second one we're still yeah we're still kind of still kind of tweaking <laughs> Still trying, to, still trying to, you know. We're trying to figure that one out. We'll but, get there. But we'll we, get there. We got that first one. Yeah, that one. Is, that uh, one's pretty good. good. to go. Salad. Um, the second point of their current mission is to perform research about <laughs> the music industry, which is your basic, you know, Billboard stuff. They collect statistics about what sells and what doesn't. Mm-hmm. And finally, the third, to monitor and review relevant laws, regulations, and policies. Hmm. So since 2001, the RIAA has spent two to six million dollars each year on lobbying in the United <laughs> States, which is why they're in D.C. So they can spend all that oh. money on lobbying, not on commutes. <laughs> the RIAA also participates in the collective rights movement, or er, sorry, mm-hmm. collective rights management uh. of sound recording. Sorry, I made that sound like a, I saw a movement too. I don't yeah. know what it was. And it is responsible for certifying gold and platinum albums and singles in the United States. Mm. 
Hence why we had all that great data about those Slipknot albums. <laughs> yep. Coming to you straight from the RIAA. And the CEO of RIAA is Carrie Sherman, who has been there since 2011. Carrie um, has joined as its general counsel in 1997 and became president of the board of directors in 2001, serving in that position until being made chairman and CEO. And Mitch Glazier has been senior executive vice president since 2011 as well. Um, and past RIAA chairman and CEO is the <laughs> is the Mitch Bainwall. The Mitch Bainwall? The Mitch Bainwall. Wow. The <laughs> Mitch Bainwall. <laughs> he served from 2003 to 2011. And he left in 2011 to become president and CEO of the Alliance of Automobile Manufacturers. See, that one requires a the. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so there's a bunch of people on the board of directors. Oh, God. That's a... Uh pretty um there are 26 members on the board long list but not as long when you reduce it down to the various uh music groups which are represented therein uh yes mostly we- sony <laughs> yeah that's uh that's a little strange we got raaa we got emi emi christian music group uh sony music Provident Music slash Sony Music? It's Sony's Christian Music brand. Ah. Is that any affiliation with Provident Bookstore? I don't know that for <laughs> sure. I was just saying that because it seemed like the most probable thing. And uh, let's just go yeah, ahead and take a little Interscope, there. Music, Universal Music, Universal Motown Republic, The Atlantic, Warner Music, Buena Vista Music, Concord Music, Curb Music, Entertainment One, Tommy Boy Entertainment, and Island Records are yep. represented. By the way, Provident Marketing, Provident Label Group is, in fact, Christian. Yes. So, is Provident Bookstore like a big chain all around the country? Not anymore. Or <laughs> It's gotten I mean, I, I am aware of two stores in our general vicinity. Well, they're not, but they're not Provident anymore, are they? I'm not sure. I haven't been there. In a They've long time, they so got they got they bought out a couple of times. Uh, so they're they might have been a chain at one point, but they're gone. Okay. Now, yeah. and I think that's probably maybe they were part of that chain, and then Sony took the music arm of it. Mm. Because I know that Provident Bookstores used to have some pretty killer Christian records. They did. They they had the probably one of the best selections. They did. Find. I found I found some good Reliant K records there. Yeah, I mean, they were they were that decent. Was, uh, you know, POD supplier. Yeah. Yep. Yep. They were not stingy about it, which was no. kind of good because I feel yeah. like they could, at, the, at that point in time, you could have easily found people who would have been. Oh yeah. But maybe that word "provident" is just a common Christian word to use. It seems like a good theme for them to for them to have, right? Yeah. It's a good good Christian theme, providence. <laughs> But the RIAA represents over 1,600 member labels, which are private corporate entities such as record labels and distributors, and collectively create and distribute about 90% of recorded music sold in the United States. The largest and most influential of the members are the big three, Sony Music, Universal Music, and Warner Music. Um... RIAA reports that total retail value of recordings sold by their members was $10.4 billion at the end of 2007, a decline from $14.6 billion in 1999. Wow. So sad for you. The RIAA operates an award program for albums that sell a large number of copies. The program originally began in 1958 with a gold award for singles and albums that reached $1 million in sales. 
The criterion was changed in 1975 to the number of copies sold, with albums selling 500,000 copies awarded the Gold Award. In 1976, a Platinum Award was added for 1 million sales. In 1989, new criteria were introduced with a gold award for singles that reached $500,000 in sales and a platinum award for singles that reached $1 million in, or rather, no, rather just, just 500000 or $1 million in copies sold. And in 1999, a diamond award for 10 million sales mm. of a given album or single, whereas it was introduced. The awards are open to both RIAA members and non-members. Hmm. How generous of them. <laughs> Since the year 2000, the RIAA also operates a similar program for Latin music sales. Wait, what? <laughs> you have all these record labels and you need to have one specifically for Latin? Whatever. Um, <laughs> called Los Premios de Oro y de Plantino. Currently a Disco de Oro, or gold, <laughs> is awarded for 30,000 units, and a Disco de Platino is awarded for 60,000 units, with an album multi-platino at 120,000 units sold, and Diamante for 10 times platino, <laughs> which is literally just all of the <laughs> standards we just named in... Spanish. <laughs> um, the RIAA defines Latin music as a type of release with 51% or more of its content recorded in Spanish. Hmm. Okay, but we don't have a national language, so why? <laughs> Was that necessary? I feel like you have every other genre of music, and genres of music are ultimately different, more different than English and yeah. Spanish are from each other. Like, who cares? Yeah, what do you do I mean, about instrumentals? Instrumentals don't have <laughs> spoken vocals. Yeah, I, I feel like that's a strange sub thing to have. Yeah, that's a little weird. It's a little weird. Just one genre of the many. Yeah. And um, so they did move over to digital sales certifications. Um, in 2004, they added a branch of certification for what it calls digital recordings, meaning roughly recordings transferred to the recipient over a network, such as those sold via the iTunes store, and excluding other obviously digital media, such as those on CD, DAT, or mini-disc. Ah, uh, DAT, DAT. <laughs> In 2006, digital ringtones were added to this branch of certification. Well, that was short-lived. And starting in 2013, streaming from audio and video streaming sites such as Spotify and YouTube also began to be counted towards the certification using the formula of 100 streams being the equivalent of one download. RIAA certification for singles therefore no longer represents true sales. In the same year, the RIAA introduced the Latin Digital Award for Digital Recordings in Spanish. As of 2013, the certification criteria for these recordings are as follows. The exact same ones John just said to you, but for singles in digital format. Yep. <laughs> Oh, they even have a video certification. Um, so, video long form released in DVD and VHS and certain live albums and compilation albums. Um, the numbers for those are gold 50,000, platinum 100,000, multi-platinum 200,000. I mean, I feel like multi-platinum is a strange designation because you, you just typically add just say two times two times platinum or three times four yeah. times yeah just, <laughs> there is no need to say multi-platinum yeah just keep at putting a number there you know yeah multi-platinum is the baseline of saying like you don't want to admit how few platinums you've got <laughs> you really have nothing to be embarrassed about you've yeah. already sold multiple millions of things <laughs> oh man my record only went 
two times platinum. Sorry, uh, guys. Only, only two million. <laughs> I'm only multi-platinum. <laughs> oh, man. Come on now. Oh, here we are. Here's something that's pertinent to us. Efforts oh, yeah. against infringement of members' copyrights. Namely, efforts against file sharing. Ooh. The RIAA opposes unauthorized sharing of its music. What? Yeah. <laughs> yep, we know. As it turns out. <laughs> um, so, they don't want you to download their songs without paying them. I mean, it's news to me. They never told me this, but mm. that's what they—that's what this says right here in this All Wikipedia right. article about them. But it's Wikipedia. Them you the can't. Of the doubt, it's you Wikipedia. Know, it's you can't read everything you read on here. <laughs> it's the internet. You, mean, you, you take true. it with a grain of salt. That's true. Um, studies conducted since the association began its campaign against peer-to-peer file sharing have concluded that losses incurred per download range from <laughs> negligible to moderate. Which is kind of how their <laughs> revenue stream went from being a fourteen dollar, uh, a fourteen billion dollar industry, which is you know moderate, to a ten billion dollar industry, which is moderately negligible. Um, the association has commenced high-profile lawsuits against file-sharing service providers. It has also commenced a series of lawsuits against individuals suspected of file-sharing, notably college students and parents of the file-sharing children. Is accused of employing techniques such as peer to peer decoying and spoofing to combat file sharing. In late 2008, they announced they would stop their lawsuits and instead work with ISPs or internet service providers to persuade them to use a three strike system for file sharing involving issuing two warnings and then cutting off internet service after the third strike. How's that going, bud? Um. <laughs> Selection of defendants. The RIAA names defendants based on ISP identification of the subscriber associated with the IP address and, as such, do not know any additional information about a person before they sue. After an internet subscriber's identity is discovered, but before an individual lawsuit is filed, the subscriber is typically offered an opportunity to settle. The standard settlement is a payment to the RIAA and an agreement not to engage in file sharing of music and is usually on par with statutory damages of $750 per work. With the RIAA choosing the number of works it deems reasonable. So, downloading one song is like, all right, uh, we're going to claim $750 in damages for you downloading. A 99 cent thing. (laughs) Yes. Something that costs literally less than a dollar otherwise (laughs) will now cost you $750 because since you illegally downloaded (laughs) that one song, that artist is going to be out of 750 because you would have downloaded it 750 times. Listen, uh, <laughs> if streaming services do not count as a download until somebody has listened to it 100 times, why not $100? Oh, that seems like a sufficient <laughs> slap on the wrist. You don't need to magnify yeah. your penalty by 750%. <laughs> That's not I necessary. Mean, I'm sure I would learn my lesson from a $50 fee. Yeah. You like know? You could still get some money that way. And you can still teach people a lesson, but these obnoxious 750 nosebleed rates is just... That's something that somebody wants to fight for. Yeah. That's you know? some, somebody will take you to court, and that's why you end up having to not do lawsuits anymore. <laughs> if you had been less greedy in the onset, you may have made more in the long run. Yeah. I mean, like, a lower fee is more likely to be like, okay, okay, I'll just pay it out stop doing this yeah and you know i don't want to get that again but the higher the fee is people are like well can't afford that might as well try to fight it and then you get all sorts of court costs and just a big hassle yeah it's not it's not a smart thing and that almost encourages people to do it more. <laughs> yeah. Because it's like, the, all right, well, screw you. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll just download I'll just download all the music now. <laughs> like, who cares anyway? I'm, I'm never going to be able to afford to do anything else. I'll just listen to all the music. <laughs> uh, 
for cases that do not settle at this amount, the RIAA has gone to trial seeking statutory damages from the jury. Written into the Digital Theft Deference and Copyright Damages Improvement Act of 1999 as between $750 and $30,000 per work or $750 and $150,000 per work if willful misconduct is determined. The Electronic Frontier Foundation and Public Citizen oppose the ability of the RIAA and other companies to strip internet users of anonymity without allowing them to change the order in court, or challenge the order in court. The RIAA's methods of identifying individual users had, in some rare cases, led to the issuing of subpoena to recently deceased 83-year-old woman... Uh, an elderly computer novice and a family reportedly without any computer at all. (laughs) Although, I mean, how did that happen? Because how does a family that doesn't have the internet... Like, why would they just have the internet in their house and no computers? (laughs) Like, why would there be an ISP that led people to that address? It was like... Like, cable TV? I guess. And somebody, like... Maybe tapped into it, maybe. like landline wise. That could be. I don't know. Hmm. But, I'm telling yeah. you, th- those digital thieves—they were way more crafty <laughs> back in the days. They, they put on their ski masks before they took their laptop <laughs> over to the neighbor's house and everything. See, I feel like the problem with the RAA's approach to all of this is what ultimately was their downfall. Because instead of, like, embracing the digital music revolution Mm -hmm. in the late 90s, they decided to fight it and were like, no, we're sticking with CDs and you can stick it up your butt. And then they were like, oh, crap, people are downloading stuff illegally because we're not supporting all this stuff. And... If they would have just been like, yay for downloading music and, Mm -hmm. you know, made an easy and accessible way to purchase music, you know, online, it would have just... The problem would have subsided. Yeah, and people, people wouldn't have, you know, pictured them in a bad light and they would have a lot more respect for them and I don't know just overall it would have turned out a lot better but they were very very set on keeping their physical media but yeah the in February 2007 the RAAA began sending letters accusing internet users of sharing files and directing them to website p2plawsuits.com where they can make discount settlement payments by credit card. The letters go on to say that anyone not settling will have lawsuits brought against them. Typical settlements are between 3000 and 12000 The new strategy was formed because the RAAA's legal fees were cutting into the income from settlements. <laughs> and yes. In 2008, RAAA sued 19-year-old Chara Suaro for allegedly sharing 10 songs online. It's a strange, strange thing to yeah. tack on at the end of that paragraph. <laughs> yeah. yeah the, for, for sharing 10 songs <laughs> online. It's strange to signal that person out. And, yeah. But anyway. But that's fine. I mean, they're there now. <laughs> the RIAA also launched an early settlement program directed to ISPs and to colleges and universities, urging them to pass along letters to subscribers and students offering early settlements prior to the disclosure of their identities. The settlement letters urged ISPs to preserve evidence for the benefit of the RIAA and invited the students and subscribers to visit an RIAA website for the purpose of entering into a discount settlement payable by credit card. By March 2007, the focus had shifted from ISPs to colleges and universities. Because they aren't going into enough debt. You might as well add some (laughs) more on there. Oh, yeah. 
And in October 1998, the Recording Industry Association of America, for some reason, they just felt the need to write it out, filed a lawsuit in the Ninth U.S. Court of Appeals in San Francisco claiming the Diamond Multimedia Rio PMP300 player violated the 1992 Audio Home Recording Act. The Rio Pimp 300 was significant <laughs> because it was the second portable consumer MP3 digital audio player released on the market. Second, wow. Hmm. And the three-judge panel ruled in favor of Diamond, paving the way for the development of the portable digital media player market. 2003, RIAA sued college student developers of land search engines Find and Flatland, hmm. describing them as a sophisticated network designed to enable widespread music thievery. Because you can't use Google for that still. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, how did they? How did Google avoid getting... It's like, who are these people? Yeah. <laughs> who is Flatland? It's a search engine. Like I know, but it doesn't I mean, even have its own Wikipedia article. Like, how significant yeah. could it have been? <laughs> yeah, I feel like Google... If these guys are bad and Google is definitely up there and, I don't know. but in September 2003 the RAAA filed suit in civil court against several private individuals who had shared large numbers of numbers of files with Kazaa uh. most of these suits were settled with monetary payments averaging $3,000 Kazaa publisher Charmin Networks responded with a lawsuit against the RIAA, alleging that the terms of use of the network were violated and that unauthorized client software was used in the investigation to track down the individual file sharers, such as Kazaa Lite. An effort to throw out this suit was denied in January 2004. However, that suit was settled in 2006. Charmin Networks agreed to a global settlement of litigation brought against it by the Motion Picture Association of America, the MPAA, the International Federation of Phonographic Industry, the Mm. IFPI, and the RIAA. The creators of the popular Kazaa file sharing network will pay $115 million to RIAA, I don't know why he says will pay, because I'm sure they have paid. Well, maybe. I mean, it's an awful lot of money, because I was true. pretty free. They could say are paying. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It seems strange that it's in That they case. will pay, that they haven't... Like, maybe they're <laughs> they just like, no. To it yet. <laughs> uh, we could pay you, but we're just, just going to let ourselves die <laughs> before that happens. Um, but unspecified future amounts to the MPAA and the software industry and install filters on its networks to prevent users from sharing copyrighted works on its network. This talks about Kazaa as if it's still around. Is it still around? Almost definitely. I mean, I, I wouldn't doubt what that there What do you do with it? You have a 56K <laughs> modem. You live in Central America, in Central <laughs> the United States, where there is no such thing as even DSL yet, because that is a place that exists in this country, and I am not kidding. And that's what you do. You don't... You can't stream literally impossible <laughs> and so you do that because you don't have enough data in your data plan to stream music all the time <laughs> there is a kazaa.com yep and there's still an application that you can download magical it's still peer p2p magical still peer to peer still very illegal <laughs> <laughs> didn't like, even try to change <laughs> the infrastructure <laughs> um yeah so the RIAA has also filed suit in 2006 to enjoin digital XM satellite radio from enabling its subscribers from playing songs it has recorded from its satellite broadcasts. It is also suing several internet radio stations. Oh, oh come Just on. Letting, Just, like, if we get it, you're not making <laughs> enough money, but quit annoying everyone. You're not helping yourself. Like, if you do this people will wait for you to bleed which again is a slipknot song i think <laughs> i'm trying to make a reference but i'm not sure if i'm making a reference i really don't know slipknot that well but 
No, well, you can't do this to people and expect them to come to your aid whenever, like, <laughs> like nobody likes yeah. you. Like, now you have time-limited your juries. You get somebody from our generation in there, and you might because we're pushing 30. Yeah. We're not going to take kindly to your shenanigans, <laughs> man. That's not going to work. Yeah. I wonder if, like... Back in the 90s when people were still recording songs onto cassette tapes from the radio and making their own mixtapes. Like, oh, yeah. Were they suing those people? They did. That, they was like- the, that was the audio home recording act of 1992. <laughs> what they were doing was illegal. It was just that there wasn't a very easy internet service provider for them to go through to That's track true. you down. And you had a little cassette and a cassette radio. I mean, like, literally the only way to catch somebody doing it is to, like, spy on them literally, like, through a window in their house. Like, ah, there they go. They're recording stuff. Yeah. Like, you have no evidence that they were the ones that recorded it, even if they do have it. Like, unless you did exactly that. (laughs) You'd have to be a peeping Tom to figure it out. Which, I mean, modern day RIAA Mm -hmm. wouldn't put it past them. They do that (laughs) just through the internet. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) They do it through a whole different kind of windows. (laughs) Yep, they peep through your windows to yep. see what you're doing. <laughs> That's exactly what happens. It's the same. <laughs> Everything's normal. <laughs> but they kept on going. In uh. October 12, 2007, they sued Usenet.com, seeking a permanent injunction to prevent the company from aiding, encouraging, enabling, inducing, causing materially contributing to or otherwise facilitating copyright infringement. Wow, they were very <laughs> painstakingly <laughs> specific. Right. Did we cover all our bases with this? <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> Wait, no, go back right. and add aiding and, and, and causing, but then make sure that all these aren't in alphabetical order because <laughs> I just want to make people more mad because we're the RIAA and that's what we do. <laughs> but this suit... The first that the RIAA has filed against a Usenet provider has added another branch to the RIAA's rapidly expanding fight to curb the unauthorized distribution of copyrighted materials. So, wow, they're expanding in their fighting. And unlike many of the RIAA's previous lawsuits... This suit is filed against the provider of a service who has no direct means of removing infringing content. And the RIAA's argument relies heavily on the fact the Usenet.com, the only defendant that has been named currently, promoted their service with slogans and phrases that strongly suggested that the service could be used to obtain free music. That's a sentence. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it was. Uh, And then on April 28th, 2008, they sued labels. Wait. RIAA member labels sued Project Playlist, a a web music search site, claiming that the majority of the sound recordings in the site's index of links are infringing... Project Playlist's website denies that any of the music it hosted um, is hosted on Project Playlist's own servers. Aha. And then in 2009, the Recording Industry Association of America prevailed in its fight against Usenet.com. Oh, man. So, wow, it took two years, but they got it. Um, in a decision that the U.S. District Judge Harold Bear of the Southern District of New York ruled in favor of the music industry on all its main arguments that Usenet.com is guilty of direct contributory and vicarious infringement. In addition, and perhaps most important for future cases, Bear said that Usenet.com can't claim protection under the Sony Betamax decision. Whatever that is, there's no link. That ruling states companies can't be held liable for contributing co- contributory infringement if the device they create is capable of significant non-infringing uses. Uh, so in other words, Sony made the VCR. You could use the VCR to record a show for yourself. But you wouldn't redistribute it. A lot it. of other functions. Right. Yeah. 
okay, so furthermore, the parties are now headed to federal court for damage, assessments, and awards, which could amount to many, many millions of dollars for the music industry. Oh, wouldn't that be nice for them? <laughs> but it's not billions of dollars, which is what they need every year. To make up for what they've <laughs> lost. So... Ultimately, good guys win, bad guys <laughs> lose, and as always, England prevails. <laughs> On October 26, 2010, RIAA members won a case against LimeWire, which seems like they should have been fighting them a long, long time ago, because that was around in the 90s. Yeah. Maybe they're just working up to Google? Yeah. Like, they just haven't gotten there yet? They're just... And- uh, preparing themselves like a yeah. like a montage of before the big fight maybe it's or maybe it's not even that maybe it's like they have all these mounting legal costs mm. and they're making less and less money amongst everybody <laughs> every year and everybody who they win a lawsuit against is sitting there being like okay we owe you 115 million dollars we'll pay you in like eh, 80 years <laughs> <laughs> and uh like I have a feeling there's disparity now. They have mounting legal fees. The income that's due to them is high, but the amount that they're actually getting is not so good. And as a result, ta-da, you have, you, you have them not able to afford to sue one of the most rich and well-resourced companies in the world. Oh, and it's getting harder now that Google's dividing themselves up yeah. by an alphabet they they have they have cars they have I mean there's you can't like, go after the whole yeah, alphabet there's, there's no way they're getting into that nah I business. think I think the RAA knows who's boss yeah. and it's it's not them it's 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 the <laughs> other it's it's every other Plus, letter <laughs> every day that goes by like five new sites pop up that yep. you can download illegal music from yeah it's all it's like, all so it's spur such the moment a now battle yeah. Google Google will find Google will find the site the day it's put up. People will find it using Google the day it's put up, and by the time you can do anything about it, it'll be gone. Yeah, <laughs> like that's all there is. Like it is literally Hydra. It's literally yep. trying to fight Hydra one person at a time. Yeah, and it, it doesn't it doesn't make any sense. I mean, you can. I mean, good luck. Yeah. But. My, my hat's off to you, but I can't help but like pity the RIA at this point. Like, I'm glad to see them, their antiquated way of thinking about things, kind of gradually be relegated to the sidelines. But it's kind of sad to watch them continue to try. Yeah, it's it's just kind of like sooner or later, this isn't going to work out for you. And it's like it's like watching Blockbuster, you know? Like you don't you you don't have any good feelings about them. You feel like really smited by the by the late fees and so forth, but you don't necessarily want to see everybody get put out of a job. Even so, yeah. it's, it's the same sort of situation. But there is a little bit of shining light here at the end of this uh, LimeWire thing. Mm. On October 29th, three days after this case was won against LimeWire, in retaliation, RIAA.org was taken offline via denial of service attacks executed by members of Operation Payback and Anonymous. Ha! How do you like having your internet <laughs> connection shut off? So there. <laughs> you always count on Anonymous to step in on random things that they care about. Mm-hmm. But yeah. So there you have it from Craig Jones, musician to Recording Industry Association of America. Hmm. That was actually pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. I'm surprised that um can't even remember his name. Metallica. <laughs> yeah. Guy. Oh, which one? The drummer. The dead one? No. Um, um. Ulrich. Ulrich, yeah, so Lars. Lars Ulrich, yeah. Lars Ulrich, yeah. I'm him. very surprised that he is not mentioned once in this entire article. Oh, for 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 what? For because RIA? He was very, yeah, he was very very involved in their fight. goings on. Like he was a big proponent of I fighting that. Oh, I didn't realize that. That's yeah. Wow. He was like, it was very strange because. Metallica is like this thrash metal band, and you know they're all like, yeah, 
fight the system. And then, like, and like, the system We are the system. Stop fighting us. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of weird how they're, how your priorities shift whenever you become yeah. successful, I guess. You know? <laughs> wow. But, yeah. So, that was fun. Um, go ahead and visit facebook.com slash TWC podcast. Give us a like and follow. Head over to iTunes, rate and review us, and download us for free all the time, every time, every day, forever. And you can also find new episodes <laughs> on our website, dwc.ericsruby.com. And I would like to thank Louis Armstrong for our theme song and Ethel Waters for our outro song. Oh, nice. So thanks again for joining us. I was Eric. And I was John. This was the Wikipedia Chronicles. stuff yeah yeah i'm glad we i'm glad we went already actually that was yeah good. it was very interesting yeah to see how see the progress of the, all, all that it's really strange <laughs> to me how how slow it's going, how slow going it's been it's never yeah it's never entirely made sense Thank you.